want to start off with a memory verse. Hopefully you already know it or you've learned it in your life somewhere. Um, It's the famous verse from Deuteronomy. It's Deuteronomy 6. It starts off, Hear, O Israel. And we could even say for us, Hear, O church. Listen up, it's saying. Pay attention. The Lord your God is, everybody know? One. And what are we supposed to do with this one God? We are supposed to love him with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, the different translations. We're to love God first and foremost with everything we got. And God says he he gave them the Ten Commandments and he said these Ten Commandments or these commandments are to be upon your heart. That literally means, we learned last week, if you were here, that when we trust God with all of our heart, we're talking about our mind, we're talking about our emotions, and we're talking about our behavior. But here's the verse that is so important, and that's verse 7 of Deuteronomy 6. The Bible says that we as parents are to teach these commandments diligently We're to impress them upon our children. Literally, we're to engrave these commandments upon their heart. And we're supposed to do that when we sit at home, when we sit at the table, when we eat together, when we we watch TV together, when we're sitting down together, when we're taking time to rest and to play games. We are to talk about the Lord and our love for the Lord. But not only then, when we walk along the way, when we drive in our cars, we have opportunities to talk. And he says that when you sit at home, when you walk along the way, when you lay your head down on the pillow at night, and when you lie down to go to bed, and when you get up in the morning, we are to impress upon our children. As parents, and I also will show you in a little bit, I think grandparents are heavily involved in that as well. And we are to teach our kids and our grandkids what it means to follow the Lord. And so this morning, if you have a program, you can follow along. I'm going to give you three steps. And I'm going to explain this from a school perspective, but I'm also going to explain it from a parent's perspective. And also, a little bit from a pastor's perspective. Because I believe there is nothing more important than we can be doing than making disciples of our children and our grandchildren for the next generation. And so, I want to start with the first step. Here's the first step. For faith to begin at home, obviously it starts with the children when they are born. It starts with the preschool age. It's what I would call the come and see stage. Preschoolers are great. And we got some great preschoolers here. Um, preschoolers, not, you're not a preschooler, preschool teachers here. Um, but this is a great stage. Why? Because kids are so curious. And they have wonder and discovery and they're trying to figure out life. And they haven't quite started asking the why question that's going to come in the next stage. But it's a come and see stage. 
And so what we need to do as parents in the home is we got to let people see, our children see, who Jesus Christ is. Now right away as we go through this, you may say, well, I'm already past the preschool stage. This stage applies to anybody who's not yet trusted in Jesus Christ in their journey. you got to help them see who Jesus Christ is. When John the Baptist was here in John chapter 1, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was proclaiming the Christ and the Savior and why he came. And so these early disciples... Before they were called to follow Jesus, in the early stages when they started hearing John the Baptist, and then John the Baptist said, see, here he is. I'm presenting him. I'm not worthy to be called the Messiah. I'm not worthy to be called the Savior. I'm not worthy, but I'm going to point you to Jesus Christ. And so Peter and Andrew and these early disciples, Philip and Nathaniel, they were curious and they wanted to see who Jesus was. And Jesus invited them. And Jesus invited them and he said, come. And he literally just doesn't say see. He says, come and you will see. Jesus is the rabbi. Jesus is the teacher. Jesus is the savior. Jesus is the son of God. Invited their early disciples before they were ever disciples, to come and see who he is. This is what we need to be doing with children and preschool children, whether they're your grandchildren or maybe they're your cousins, whatever. we got to help them to see who Jesus Christ is. And there's two areas of emphasis. You see, one of the reasons I love the concepts that I'm sharing with today is because we simplify it. We try to simplify it based upon where God has created these children to be and in their minds. But the two truths that people need to know is that God created them and that God loves them. Preschool kids need to know that God created them and that God loves them. Somebody who's an adult who has not yet come to believe in Jesus Christ, they need to know that God created them and that God loves them. You see, our world is totally against this concept. We're trying to say, God didn't create us. God didn't create this world. God, God, God had no part in your coming to be, and you just are sort of, you just happen by chance. You just sort of evolved. And because you just evolved, there, there's no God that loves you. And obviously, the suffering and the pain that we experience in life, that, that's proof that God doesn't love you. Because if God loved you, he would protect you. But we need to be teaching these young, precious minds that God created them. Because the world's going to tell them something different. And we need to tell them that God created them in his image. Male and female, he created them. And we need to tell them that God loves them, and he likes them, and he cares about them. He wants to have a relationship with them. And we repeat this over and over and over and over and over again. God created them, and God loves them. Now, we, 
You know, it's very interesting, not only in Christian schools, but in the church and all this stuff. You know, where, where do we usually start? You know, we usually start with a story like Noah, which again, I, I understand. We, we recreate our nurseries when babies are born, you know. I think we even had it, you know, Noah in there and the rainbow and the promise. But are we prepared to tell our kids the full story of Noah? Do you read after the promise? What happens to Noah afterwards? Noah's drunk. <laughs> Noah's naked. Noah, it's not a great end of the story. That's why I believe we need to help people understand, and especially the little children, that God created them and he loves them. And we've got to repeat that over and over again. Here's the second stage that I think, or the step that is very important, is that they need to believe in Christ. Now you may say to yourself, Mark, my preschool kid, he, he believed in Christ. And, and I get that concept. But I can tell you as a pastor, I have rebaptized so many teenagers and adults because they get baptized too early because they have not yet really believed in Christ. They're, they're, I want to say they're pressured into it, but it takes time. Belief is a process. Even with the disciples, when the disciples first believed in Jesus Christ, when was that? They believed in Jesus Christ when Jesus turned the water into wine. Yes. And that says in Scripture, in John chapter 2, the disciples first believed in Jesus then. If you read the Gospel of John, then it seems like the next chapter. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him. And then in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman, and the Samaritan woman believes in Jesus as the Messiah, and she tells the whole village. In John chapter 5, Jesus is trying to explain what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. And he says, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me shall not be brought into condemnation, but they have crossed over from death to life. And then in John chapter 6, guess what happens? People start walking away from Jesus. And Jesus says to the early disciples, are you going to walk away too? And what is the disciples? Peter steps up and says, Lord, where are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We're going to continue to believe in you. That's why sometimes the Greek word for believe in the gospel of John is in the present tense. It's not always in the present tense. Don't let somebody fool you into that. Because we are constantly believing and you get to the end of the Gospel of John, we realize that the purpose that John was written was so that we would all believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing in him, we will have life, eternal life in his name. This is what we need to be teaching elementary kids. And we need to make it very clear. Again, we simplify it. Two Concepts. I'm going to give you two, two concepts, if that makes sense. The first one is sin and salvation. In order to believe, kids need to know what they're believing. They need to believe that they're a sinner. We just go and we tell them, look in the mirror, right? They need to understand that they have sinned. 
One of the first verses I remember memorizing was Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But they also need to know that there's a Savior that will save them from their sin, and that is Jesus Christ. And this is a great age because they are curious and they're asking questions. And this is when we as parents, we need to come alongside and we need to teach them about sin. That's why we need to discipline them as parents. We need to teach them that sin has consequences. And that they also need to know that there's a Savior who will forgive them. The other concept, two P words, you need to teach them about God's promise and God's provision. You see, what are we believing when we believe in Jesus Christ? We're believing in his promise. Go back again to John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. That is a promise. Jesus in the gospel of John over and over again gives the promise that if we believe in Jesus Christ, we will have eternal life. But also the provision. Every elementary kid should know, and I speak on it every good Friday, it is finished. Paid in full. We as parents, we need to communicate the gospel in such a way that they understand the reason that they are saved or become a Christian or are forgiven of their sins or go to heaven or whatever terminology you want to use is because Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid for their sins. This is what we need to be emphasizing in the elementary age. Now, I've seen um, two extremes of this. I grew up Lutheran. This concept of salvation by faith alone and Christ alone was communicated often. But the way it was communicated was we went to one extreme called confirmation. Confirmation is in the eighth grade. You see, you're baptized as an infant, and then when you get to the eighth grade, or in my process, I get to the eighth grade, I confirm my faith that I believe in Jesus Christ. And so the assumption always is, during my whole elementary time and through junior high and high school, the, 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 the thought is, is that I am already part of the faith community. And so I was never taught what was some people call like a decision theology or when did you place your faith in Jesus Christ because that wasn't part of it because I was already part of the faith community. When I came here, when um, I've been in other churches, other backgrounds, other Christian schools, the emphasis is on what? Early on, even preschool or kindergarten, we start teaching them, you need to ask Jesus Christ into your heart. And so what started happening, even when I came here, I'd have some people in my office and I'd say, are you a Christian? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Well, tell me about when you came to faith. Well, there was a process somewhere, in, even in the Christian school, where I asked Jesus into my heart. Here's where we as parents need to be very clear, and we need to play a role in teaching our kids what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. Because when I would talk to kids about, or to talk to adults about, well, are you a Christian now? They were very confused because they said, well, I asked Jesus into my heart. I don't know exactly what even that meant. We as parents... We need to be very clear. The concept 
of believing in Jesus Christ is what Jesus emphasized over and over again. I'm still looking for the verse that says that we are to ask Jesus Christ into our heart. You say, you may say, my Mark, Romans 10 says that he who believes in his heart, what well, we learned last week, heart refers to our mind, our emotions, and our will, but who confesses with their mouth. I've never heard anybody say, well, we need to ask Jesus Christ into our mouth. What Scripture says over and over again is that we need to believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And they need to put a stake in the ground. And they need to put a stake in the ground that they know that. I've, sp I've spoken to, to, in the past, I spoke to a lot of camps, spoke to a lot of teenagers, and they've never put that stake in the ground. But here's the other step that we as parents, we need to encourage, not only that they come and see who Jesus Christ is, not only do they believe in Jesus Christ, but they need to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus over and over again said, follow me. And sometimes we get a little confused when we read the gospels, like we can start in Mark chapter one, and Jesus out of the get-go says to the disciples, you know the story when they're fishing and Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men? That's three years into the ministry of Jesus Christ. They've already have gone through the come and see stage. They've already come through the believe stage. And Jesus will say to us that we need to follow him. I didn't have this growing up. This was the thing that was lacking. I didn't get it until I went to Taylor University, a Christian university, and I heard somebody talk that it's not just about believing in Jesus Christ and being forgiven of your sins and going to heaven. It is about following Jesus Christ. And what I've been trying to say, and it's not my concept, I know Andy Stanley talks about it, others talk about it, is that following Jesus Christ will make you better at life and it will make your life better. Middle school kids need to know this because they are stepping into really tough times. They're going to be pressured sexually. They're going to be pressured emotionally. They're going to be pressured relationally. They're going to be confused about their relationship with mom and dad. They're going to be confused about what teachers are teaching them about life and science. And they're going to experience pain and suffering. They're going to feel depressed. And what they need to know is that Jesus is constantly saying, if you follow me and you follow my word and you follow my guidelines, you're going to be better at life and your life is going to be better. Even if you're not a Christian, and so if you're listening to me and you think, oh, this guy's wacko up here talking and you don't understand, I can tell you, even if you're not a Christian, if you start following Jesus Christ and doing what Jesus Christ wants you to do, guess what? You are going to be better at life and get better. Because Jesus said, if you follow me, I will give you life. And I will give it to you more abundantly. So these are three steps. And I have to tell you, as a parent, not as a pastor, as a parent, this is hard. Because again, everything is fighting against it. And where do you start? Some of you just need to be thankful you didn't grow up in my household. 
I remember, again, me trying to do devotions in my family was a train wreck. My kids still make fun of me. You know, I think it was after cell phones. I, I did a PowerPoint presentation one time for our family devotion. <laughs> I, 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 used to put, I used to put paper up on the walls. You know, so I'd have over here, and I'd put like a blank white side over here, and I'd put up paper, and I'd draw diagrams and write out stuff. You see, what we need to understand is that parenting is hard, and we need some support. So if some of you are wondering here what these marbles are all about. You see, marbles, and I learned this in in Ministry 101, marbles, they represent influence. I just lost my influence right there. But these jars, and if I had more time, I would develop it fully, but... These are the hours that you have to influence your children. And there's different jars represented here. One of these jars represents the home. One of these jars represents the church. And one of these jars represents the school. And what are these marbles, again, represent the average hours per year of influence. Now, again, it's not saying who has the greater influence. It's not saying um, whether the influence is good or bad. It's just saying kids are impressionable. And where are the hours? Now, um, just so I don't confuse anybody, I was going to bring some people up. But this first jar represents the church. And there's not many marbles actually in here. And the church, statistics reveal, and this was about 10 or 15 years ago, that the church has 40 hours per week to influence children, teenagers. 40 hours per week to influence. Now again, I'm speaking as a pastor. (laughs) Even today, I notice some of our families are gone. Again, There's so many things competing with the church today. There's lakes, there's sports, um, there's just vacations, there's, I'm tired with life, I had a bad day, I had a bad weekend, I think I'm going to sleep in, it's rainy, it's snowy, it's sunny, it's whatever, we make excuses, but this represents the hours per year that the church has to influence. This actually is the home. The average parent has 3,000 hours to influence their children per year. Again, that's the average parent. I've been thinking a lot about this, and yesterday... Um, as some of you know, we had two uh, memorial celebration of life services in the life of our church, and uh, my son Mason went with me in the morning um, to, to Rick Beard's celebration of life, and he was sitting there, and what a, talk about when you walk along the way or when you drive in your car, and so we got in the car afterwards, and he was on his cell phone, and 
okay, I was doing a horrible job as a parent, I admit it, and he was on his cell phone, and I'm like, hmm, I better apply my message until we get there. And so I started asking him some questions about the memorial service and what he thought and was thinking about that. But I was thinking also that I knew I had to come to another memorial service and I was thinking through my thoughts and I was thinking through today and everything. What would have been the easiest thing for me to do? The easiest thing for me to do would have just been to let him stay on his phone. As parents, this is very hard. We need to start engaging our kids and communicating with them and having a relationship with them and talking with them. And we need to take advantage of this. And I have to say, I'm confessing as a parent too often, watching some stupid show or watching my Steelers play an insignificant team like the Chiefs and... um, (laughs) I don't even know why I wasted that. My starting quarterback, my starting quarterback, didn't even play in the game, and uh, we still won. But anyway, hours, hours just go by. Hours go by. But those are the opportunities we have compared to the church. But look at this jar. This jar here is actually the hours in school. The average student will spend 5,400 hours per year in school. And if you want to fact check me on that, um, check with Chad. He gave me those hours, okay? (laughs) But hopefully this is a visual. Do we need to be, let's say you don't have a child in Christian education. Do we need to be praying for our public school teachers? Do you need to be praying for your teachers? Your students are getting influenced. But look at this from a Christian perspective, a Christian perspective. I now have somebody I can partner with, somebody I can strategize with, someone who's going to be saying the same thing over and over and over again to my student. Again, I've seen it all. I've been involved in schools myself, and uh, my kids have sent them to, I've sent my kids to public school. We've homeschooled. We've, we've done so many different things. They've gone to Christian schools. Just because you're sending your kid to a Christian school doesn't mean that they're going to have the right influence. So if parenting is hard and messy, and it's hard for me to take my kids through these come and see stage, believe stage, and follow Jesus stage, how, how does it all work? And I want to share, as we wrap this up, I want to share a story. And you can go back and you can read it. And it's in Exodus 17. It's a story of Moses, and they were fight, fighting a, a Mamalak, and, um, and he was told by God that if you go out and you raise up your staff and you pray, you will experience victory. And so Moses calls in Joshua, and he says, I want you to go and, and fight this nation, which, by the way, is, is pretty interesting. It was their second and third cousins. 
which I'll, I'll just give you a free tip. For you as Christians, sometimes you need to, and we live in a socially intimate community here where a lot of our relatives are together, you need to just not assume just because you're hanging out with cousins, there's going to be a good influence there. So this, this is coming from Esau's tribe. And Moses is telling Joshua, go out and fight and I'm going to raise up my hands. Guess what? Moses goes out and he's raising up their, his staff. And guess, guess what? If you've ever done this for a very long time, guess what? His arms got tired. And then over a period of time, he couldn't hold it up anymore. And so what does God do? God, after a period of time, says, hey, you got two sidekicks over here, Aaron and her, and I want you to have them hold up your arms. And so when God, through Moses, holds up the staff, and Aaron and her are right there side by side, they experience victory. And when they experience victory, they're, they're told that they need to understand the Lord's banner over me is what gave me the victory. It is the Lord that gives us the victory, but we play a part and we play a role in it. We as parents need to understand the role that we play. And so I want to use that analogy and I want to talk about Moses. You need to understand something as parents. You are Moses. You're going to get tired. You're going to get weary. It's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. You're going to have to agonize and pray for your children, no matter whether it's through middle school, high school, young adults, until they get married and have children, you're still going to be parenting them. And it's hard work and it's messy. But you need to understand as parents you are the most valuable pastor. Now, some of you may be saying, time out, Mark. I, I was with you until you told me that I'm a pastor. Yes, you are a pastor. That's what God is saying in Deuteronomy 6. That's what he's saying in Ephesians chapter 5. That's what he's saying in Ephesians chapter 6. In Colossians 3, we are the primary disciple makers of our children. You are the most valuable pastor. And I'll say this as a pastor, because I see this trend. So many people are changing churches and going from church to church based upon their children. And I just want to say something. It's not the church that's going to influence your kids spiritually. They're important. You, as the pastor of your home is the key disciple maker. You affect the faith in your home. Are you going to get tired? Yes. Is it going to be messy? Yes. Are you going to want to quit? Yes. But you need to understand something. You're Moses. Moses could only lead the people as far as his relationship was with God. And what did Moses do? He would go up in the mountain and he would pray and he would talk with God and have a relationship with God. And he learned to love the Lord, his God, first and foremost, first, before he ever tried to lead the people. And you, as the chief shepherd of your home, you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
It's very interesting. Some of you have seen my Bible, and my Bible is starting to fall apart. And um, I've had a couple of weird experiences happen. Um, uh, when I was at conference a couple of weeks ago in Illinois, a young guy who's in his 30s came up to me, and he, he said, is this your Bible? And I was like, yes. And he actually, again, this is a pastor, he actually reached out, and he wanted to touch my Bible. Because he knows... I spend time in my Bible. And, and yesterday, um, during um, Dennis Culpepper's celebration of life, the, the, the pastor who we did it together, he, he said, is that your Bible? <laughs> He's like, I love that Bible. He says, it reminds me of a basketball that has been well used. You see, you need to know your Bible so you can be a Moses to your children. Because you are the most valuable player. But you need to see this. And we will bring it to close. The church, that's one errand. This, even though there's only 40 hours, again, this is why we need to emphasize the church. This represents Aaron, and the church holds the parents together. That's why you need to be involved in church, and you can't skip out on church because this is a, the most valuable partnership that God has given the church is, or the parents, is the church. But not only you got Aaron, you got her, and they come alongside. This is why I love the Christian school, coming alongside you to help parent you. And they're holding up your arms. It's a partnership. A key partnership. And we, a partnership means you're engaged in the same thing, going in the same direction. And what I have experienced, even in my own children and in my own life, um, Yes, some of the, the parenting mistakes that I made or some of the parenting mistakes my parents made were the result of poor decisions as parents. But some of the parenting mistakes is, is that we didn't have somebody supporting us and partnering with us along that journey. So here's what we mean. Faith in the Bible. The word faith means to have trust, confidence, assurance. We're doing a series on hope. It means to have hope. And so what we need to do is we need to instill this in our children and we need to, to pray for the school and we need to, to pray for parents and we need to pray for the church that we can be two and three cords strung together, tightly woven so that our children will have this type of faith that you will have this type of faith, that your grandchildren will have this type of faith. Here's what I want you to think about. What is the next step? I want to wrap this up talking about my tradition. I would encourage some of you, if you're interested in Christian education, read some books by Martin Luther. You may say, who's Martin Luther? <laughs> Was it, did he go through the social reform? No, this is all the way back in the 1500s. He led the Reformation, and the Reformation wasn't just about breaking away from the Catholic Church, it was about reforming education. This is what Martin Luther said, 
Martin Luther says, above all, in schools of all kinds, the chief and most common lessons should be in the scriptures. But where the holy scriptures are not the rule, I advise no one to send his child. Everything must perish where God's word is not studied unceasingly. Then what Luther goes on to say, he says, when schools prosper, the church remains righteous and her doctrine pure. Young pupils and students are the seed and source of the church. If we were dead, whence would come our successors? If not from the schools, for the sake of the church, we must have and maintain Christian schools. The Lutherans were one of some of the first to have Christian schools. And I had the privilege of being a part of a Lutheran Christian school. And one of the things I took away from it was Scripture. We need to keep Scripture front and center. And the other hallmark of the Reformation is that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. And we need schools to come alongside. And we need to invest in them. I told everybody I was going to speak 20 minutes, and obviously I've gone longer than 20 minutes. Here's what I want you to know. I don't play the lottery, but I've had people come up to me and say, Mark, if I play the lottery, guess what? I'm going to give a tenth of that to the church. I'm always like, great. I wish I had a dollar for every time I heard somebody tell me that. I'd be a rich pastor. But if I won the lottery, and I've dreamed about it, I don't know how it's going to happen since I don't play the lottery. Um, I did a paper on that, and I can tell you that later. But um, I don't play the lottery. But if I did win the lottery, I always said to myself, I would give all my money, or majority of it, to Dallas Theological Seminary. And I would start a church sort of like a free church. I would encourage people to give to it, but uh, I wouldn't be paid as a pastor. And so I would have a, give my money to Dallas Theological Seminary because I believe they train the best Bible teachers in the world, Christian leaders. And then I would give it to... And I, I've just been thinking a lot about it. And if I had a lot of money, my kids would say, give it to me probably. But um, um, if I had a lot of money, I would invest in Christian education. I don't know if you realize or not, like Harvard, I think, was the first uh, college in the United States in like 1647, 1627, somewhere in there. It was a Christian. It was a Christian seminary. 100, 106 out of 108 of the initial learning institutions in the United States were Christian. All the colleges, they were Christian. And then they stood upon the scriptures but if I had money, and if you had money, I would encourage you to support, obviously, the local church, because that's a key influencer, and I would support the Christian school so that we can influence the next generation and the next generation and the next generation for Christ because it does take money. And I would invest it, and in where I would put my money if I had a bunch of money, I would say, I want you to do two things. I want you to hire teachers and pay them well who can teach the Bible. 
who can teach the Bible, live the Bible, know the Bible, breathe the Bible, speak the Bible, have memorized the Bible, can teach the Bible. And the other thing is that the school is committed to the church. Because as Martin Luther says, the church prospers, the school prospers. The school prospers, the church prospers. They work together. And I'm so thankful for the ministry that we have here. And I would encourage every one of you, when you go home tonight, to get on your knees. Pray for yourself as a parent. But pray for all the churches in our community. And pray for our Christian school. And pray for the public school. That the Christians who are teachers in the public school will be salt and light for the glory of God.